It is wonderful to be here. You're in the book of Acts, and so I'm, I've been given a long passage, Acts 4, 1 to 22. So if, you're, if you are part of the church, I sent out some questions, so hopefully you've read the text, looked at the questions, but for those who are visitors, we're going to read the text um, so that we know what we're doing about I'm going to read two verses before that from chapter 3. I know you've been through chapter 3, but I'm just going to read two verses, uh, verse 6. This is the man that's healed. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And then I'm going to jump to verse 15. When Peter is now speaking, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Those are two really important statements in the light of chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So in this text, and I'll just make commentary that it's done, you've got two groups of people that are offended by the apostles. One is offended because they are preaching the resurrection of the dead. Those are the Sadducees. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection. And I'm, I'm really dumbing it down to a few sentences. And so Peter is preaching. You saw there in verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. That was a great offense to the Sadducees who were part of the ruling class, the priests. All right? And so they are, they are offended. They are asking questions. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I'm assuming on top of that there were women and children. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? This is the second group of people. Those in authority, Pharisees, ruling class, were now asking about authority and power. So one group are worried about resurrection and supernatural. The other group are worried about power and authority. Because the gospel message challenges both those things. The gospel message today challenges both those things. Those who believe that there's no such thing as resurrection, there's no such thing as supernatural, and those who believe that we have no authority to say anything. The state has the authority, the government has the authority, etc., etc. And and this text deals with those two things really clearly. I'll carry on reading. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, now being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See the confidence there. Where did the confidence come from? Holy Spirit. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts tells us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. When the beginning part of Acts, that you will be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? 
Resurrection life. They were witnesses to actual resurrection. We are witnesses to resurrection life. We preach the resurrection. And if we're going to stand before the authorities and the people who question and the people who doubt and the people who challenge and the people who persecute, then we need to be filled with the Spirit to be able to make the declaration. We can make those declarations in just human words, but when they're empowered by the Spirit, then you can see things begin to happen. I've just got back from India and Sri Lanka this week, and we struggle to get into India because they are clamping down on Christians. Even though it's a country that's freedom of religion, they are clamping down. Where's Rowan? Clamping down. They didn't want to let us in. I got in because I'm from LA, and the head immigration guy loved the Lakers. So he said, you go in. Literally, that's what happened. So the power of the Lakers... It's global. The name, yeah. It is by the name of the Lake, I mean of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I want to say this quickly too. In our world today, just using the name of Jesus often is not enough. Because people talk about Jesus everywhere. And you can talk about Jesus and it's okay. The moment you speak about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you're naming a specific person, a specific person in history that died and rose again, and that's an offense. Okay? You can speak Jesus as much as you like. I'm in LA County, but you speak Jesus crucified, and you're crucified. So there's a big difference. Sorry, this keeps blowing. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's a, isn't this a wonderful text? This is a beautiful narrative. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What's the first statement of being a disciple to Jesus? Be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? How bold is that? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Isn't that a wonderful narrative? And the interesting thing about narrative writing in the Bible is that we approach it in different ways. I'm going to take two minutes to say this and we're going to break into our little groups. None of us comes and reads that text the same. 
The facts are there. They haven't changed. It's a historical reality of what happened. But the way we approach the text is determined by many things. Things like, I wrote a bunch of them down here, if I can find them on my scrap, scrap of paper. Your gender. Your gender will determine how you read the Scriptures. Your age. Your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Your emotional state. If you're reading the text and you're happy, you'll see one thing. If you read it and you're distressed, you'll read another thing. If you read it and you're absolutely depressed and sad, you will see another thing. Your culture. You know, what country you're from, how you were raised, your religious culture, your political culture, all those things will determine how you read the text. We know that. All sorts of theologies come out of the Bible, determined by where people are at. Your relational bias. If you read it as a single unmarried, you'll see one thing. If you read it as a married person, a divorced person, a widow, a widower, you, you, the Holy Spirit says different things to you. You say, why are you telling us this? Well, for two reasons. One, I want to help you know how to read the Scriptures. I don't want to just tell you everything. God wants us to read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures. But two, when you get around the table, you might hear different stories of the way people have been affected by this text. And it's shaped by some of these things and maybe some that I don't mention. Your emotional culture. Were you raised in a shame culture? Were you raised in a driven culture or a affirming culture or a fear culture. We were raised in a military culture. Often our stories are, have military, what, because that's what we were raised in. So there's different ways. It's shaped by your biblical maturity. You can read this text as a day one as a Christian, you get something out of it. You come back 40 years later, God is showing you new things. That's the wonder of the scriptures. And one of the best things you can do, I'm sure, Chris has told you this, is every now and then buy a new Bible and start again. So you don't keep going back to the same underlines. Because God wants to say different things. It's shaped by your personality type. Are you an introvert, extrovert, your Enneagram number, whatever type, way you want to figure out your personality will shape the way that you read the text. Or have the way you interpret the text. Your current season of learning your stage of life, your journey, your journey of your soul. Are you in the beginning or halfway through? Are you struggling in a wall? All of those shape. But also your gift mix and cluster, gift cluster, will shape the way you read a text. I'm a pastor. So I read the text through the eyes of a pastor. Chris is an, an apostle. He leads it, reads it through that text. And we, read, we sometimes read different things. I read about how we should gather the people and get them stirred and strengthen. He's saying, how can we send them out? But even if I'm a pastor, I read it differently. Because if I'm a pastor in my gift cluster. I'm a pastor with a slight prophetic edge. That's very different from a pastor with a mercy edge. We'll approach it differently. If you have the gift of hospitality and you have a gift of mercy, you'll do one thing. If you have a gift of hospitality and you're an intercessor, you'll whatever. We work in clusters. All right, so if you recognize that, you will understand why some, how people interpret the text. All right, now, the text is there. It's historically correct. It's possible that when we interpret it, it's wrong. We are wrong. It's a huge probability. So what can safeguard us? Number one is community. 
where we're sharing with one another. So we're around our tables now, and you say something, everyone looks, that sounds a little weird. Don't be offended. Say, why do you think it's weird? Ask questions. You might think, oh, I missed something. We need the protection of community. The other thing we need, where is it over here? Yeah, yeah. The other, oh, yeah. The other, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and have studied the text. So listen to people who have studied, who have a gift of teaching. We need those things as well to help us so that we don't go this way and that way. Remember, you, God can speak to you out of context, but you cannot preach out of context. God can speak to you out of the most obscure verses in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's universally true for everyone and now you preach it. You know, um, you know remember the one, uh, who's the guy that asked to enlarge my territory, what was his name? Jabez. Jabez. One guy wrote to 500 books on that. Prayer of Jabez for before you were born, while you were still in the womb, while you were a toddler, made a lot of money, but it's not a universal truth. And then last point, understand the rules of engagement when you read the text. How do you read narrative? How do you read a prophecy? How do you read a poem? All those things, that determines the way you read a text. Is that okay? I've rushed it because we want to get to our tables. So I'm going to put up two questions um, if we have them there. These are the questions I sent out on this text, which I'd like you to discuss at your table. What do you find inspiring, provocative, subversive, instructive, or informative about this narrative? Or maybe fearful be another one. Not just the historical part, but its application to you personally. I've sat and heard this text taught many times, and it's always, go for it, you can do this. But sometimes people are really afraid. So how do you interact with the text? Second question is, what is the one thing from this text that the Holy Spirit is highlighting for you to engage with, to grow, to change, to get rid of, etc., personally or as a community? Does it make sense? All right, so around your tables, discuss. From the text, don't go now to the book of Exodus or Leviticus. From this text, just discuss it. And then what we're going to do at the end, we've got about maybe half an hour. At the end, we're going to have three or four people, we've got table leaders, get up and give some feedback from your table. How's that? We will select those. Um, So have some fun. Enjoy the text. If you're a visitor, you can also participate, but if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable, just listen. Say, God, what are you showing me? That would be amazing. Is that all right? Holy Spirit, speak.
What is the one thing from this text that the Holy Spirit is highlighting for you to engage with? I think it's important that you write that down. Otherwise, we forget. Take it to your table community. Say, this is what I feel God's saying to me. Would you help me? Would you hold me accountable? Would you pray with me? Whatever it is, so that you don't forget what the Holy Spirit's told you to engage with. Is that fair enough? Otherwise, it just becomes an exercise in academia and talking. We actually want to go away with something. This is what God has said to me. Or this is what he's told me I must get rid of. Or whatever it is. But ask someone to help you with that. Is that okay? Chris. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone have a boring group? It's like, this was just a waste of time. Anyone? All right. Besides our table, where we had more pastors than people. Anyone else? All right, so the first question really had to do with what do you find inspiring, provocative, subversive, instructive, informative about this narrative? Tracy. Oh, dear. I, um, I think the thing that stood out to me this time as I was reading it was when they said, are you asking us about a kindness that we showed to this guy? And um, I think it just hit me that that is exactly what was happening, that they were just being kind, they were doing what um, Jesus would do, and that was very threatening to the people around me, to them, and then for me, it makes me um, think about that I'm, I'm a little taken aback by that in life, that we, we do good, and it's um, interpreted as bad, um, because it threatens other people, and I think it called me to, to a new resolve with that, to just kind of say to myself, yes, that's what that means. And that's okay. I'm good with that. I want to be like Jesus. And if that's the outcome, that's the outcome. But that's what I, stood out to me. Fabulous. Nothing like being handed the microphone on your first visit. <laughs> Kai, who's the big spokesman here? Question one. Thanks, Kai. <laughs> so answer question one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Not too long. <laughs> Ooh. All the answer just fled. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there were so, so much good input. Um, but I think I can speak best the answer that I gave, um, so not to cut anybody short here. Um, but we, I talked about boldness. That really, really stood out to me. I think that sometimes I interpret boldness as this abrasive front, um, something that is very, um, I don't know, in, in your face and, and almost like creates this response that is a visceral response. Um, how many times have we had somebody be really bold, right? And we're like, oh, like your body actually responds. And, and instead thinking about boldness as this peaceful assurance, something that people can experience from me through the Holy Spirit moving in me. And this assurance that says, it's, it's not about me, um, but being able to stand here in confidence because um, I am aligned in him 
and not in me. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to walk in that state of confidence and assurance and, um, yeah, that we are his. Absolutely. Absolutely. My gosh, we've got a problem here with this, the number of preachers and teachers in this church, that's for sure. Okay, number two, what is the one thing from this text that the Holy Spirit has highlighted for you to engage with, to grow, to change, to get rid of? One thing, one thing, Jordan Havilana, someone from that group, you or someone from that group? Maddie, are they pointing you out? Are they calling you? What is it? You guys all point to girls. What is this here? I don't know what this means. I'll close my eyes. Um, something that we discussed in our group that felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting for a lot of us was just this question of, obviously the disciples cared that the kingdom was advancing. Um, not only did they have a personal relationship with God that empowered them to do so, but they actually cared that his kingdom was going to expand around them. And I think the question we were asking ourselves was, do we actually care if the kingdom expands around us? <laughs> like, do we actually, or, or do we not? And if we don't, like, or if we do care, then how are we living like we care? Practically, what does that look like? And if we don't, I guess, how does that answer change? What do we have to do to change that? Um, it's just something that we were... Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Jansma, someone from your table, is it you? What is the one thing? You're up, Andrew. The one thing. Yeah. I'll share on behalf of someone in our group. Um, it was really powerful. They opened up about how this recently, this month, they've decided to engage in the idea that it, the weight is not on our own shoulders, it's on the Lord's, um, and that we won't accomplish anything by our own strength, but by His. Um, and so taking steps to release control, which is difficult. It sounds easy sometimes, but it's very, very difficult to do that in a culture that is every, in every way against that mentality. Um, but it was just really powerful to see the boldness to step out into that um, and be countercultural um, and just be expectant to see what the Lord can do through that. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right, what we're going to do now, thank you, and I'm sure you all, if time could stand still, we'd be astounded by the depth of insight that we have in this room. We're going to break bread together. I want a guy and a girl from each table to bless the bread and to bless the wine slash grape juice. There is the gluten-free crackers, and uh, wine and grape juice. Now, why do we do it this way? I think it's empowering everyone to feel you are participants and players in this great gospel act. It's the, the, the culminating sacrament that Jesus gave us. He said, every time you do this, he didn't say that about anything else, but he said it about this. And that's why it's such a high wattage moment for us in our times, whether it's during the week in our homes, whether it's here, that we remind ourselves of the great transaction that took place, where Jesus fully readily embraced our brokenness and by some element of mystery offered us His wholeness. The journey from brokenness to wholeness is ours for the taking. And then my favourite is the wine, grape juice, 
where God cleanses us. What a gift to Tracy's point of kindness that He chooses and allows us to cleanse our minds, our hearts, our hands of the things that so easily trick us and tempt us into sin and iniquity. What a joy that we can bring closure tonight to this, the things that this past week have haunted and tempted us and that we can find true intimacy with Him in that moment. So each table, one guy break the bread and pass it around. One of the girls pray and uh, over the grape juice communion and pass it around and then just pray in the group. We've got five more minutes. Thank you for being gracious tonight and allowing us to just have some intentional conversations and uh, please go ahead. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken, take each.